How's everybody doing this morning? That good, huh? So we have been walking through the holy history. We've been, uh, we watched uh, as uh, Joseph brought his family into Egypt to save their lives from a famine. He was elevated to second in command in Egypt and was able to give them the best of the land. But as the people uh, grew from uh, a family into a nation, they became uh, slaves in Egypt. They were dependent upon the government and soon they became slaves to the government. I've made the point that that happens to people today as well, even though it's not official slavery. And so God raised up Moses to bring the people out of Egypt with uh, many mighty signs. And they went across the, uh, the Sea of Reeds on dry ground and the Egyptian army was drowned in the sea. And then they went across the desert and they encountered numerous difficulties on their way back to Mount Sinai or Horeb. That's another name for it in scripture, the mountain of God. And um, God provided for them in the wilderness and he gave them strength and he helped them to uh, overcome a battle. We saw that last week when they had to fight a battle with these people that were attacking them, the Amalekites. And now we come full circle. Moses met God on the mountain, on Mount Sinai, and this is in Exodus chapter three. And God said, and this is the sign, you're gonna bring those people right back to this mountain and meet with me. And so that's exactly what happened. Now. Um, the Jewish people celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost is the, the, uh, the Greek word that means 50, and it's 50 days after Passover, and that's next Sunday. The Jewish people call it Shavuot. And um, on Pentecost, for them, we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church, but they still celebrate the giving of the law because they believe that that happened right about that same time. Well, what we find in the scripture is that it was two months later, right? Two months after they left Egypt that they finally wound up at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And that is where God gave them the law. And that's why I'm gonna talk about the 10 commandments today and the implications for us. So I'm glad the kids are down here with us. I wonder kids, I'm gonna read a passage of scripture, but I wonder if you can say the 10 commandments. We did that, man, when some of you were very young. In fact, I remember, uh, Jubilee came up here and she wasn't even downstairs yet. She was still uh, upstairs. I think she was like four and she said the Ten Commandments. I wonder if she could say them today. Hmm. All right, let's take a look at this passage of scripture. This is in Exodus chapter 19 because I want to read the, the ramp up to the Ten Commandments. So uh, we've already prayed. I hope that you are paying attention, not just to me, but pay attention to what the Lord would have to say to you. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Remember, that's the mountain of God. That's the mountain where Moses met God. That's the mountain where the law is going to be given. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, that's an agreement between God and his people, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. By the way, that's what Christians are called today. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything that the Lord had commanded him. 
And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so that the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. Then they will always trust you. Now I'm going to skip over to chapter 20. Um, the, the people were called to the base of the mountain, but God was so holy and so terrifying that he told them, don't come up on the mountain. Stay where you are. And I'm going to say before I get into the reading of the Ten Commandments here, that there, is, there are a lot of problems in our nation today. Wouldn't you agree? Okay. Um, there is a reason for us to call out to God to save us and to protect us, right? Kids, that's for you. Call out to God to save you and to protect you, right? We had an incident this last week that could strike terror in the, in the minds and hearts of children. You just need to call out to the Lord to save you and to protect you and to watch over you and not look past that, not think that this is just a church thing or Pastor D thing or an adult thing. This is about you. The Bible says that you have the kind of faith that we're supposed to have. You naturally have the ability to simply trust God. Don't let all sorts of doubts come into your mind from the world or all sorts of bad behavior separate you from the Lord. You need to pay attention and you need to let the Lord speak to you. There's really only one problem in this nation today. Really. It's what separates this nation now from what this nation once was. You know what that singular problem is? We don't fear God. Those of you that are my karate club, what's the first verse you learn? Proverbs 1 7. Okay, and if you have really good hearing, you heard Asher as he was laying there saying it to the ceiling. The fear of the Lord is the what? The beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Well, see, the Lord gives us commands as a way to give us direction. Okay? Discipline is not just punishment. Discipline is direction, training for your life. And these Ten Commandments are that training. Um, kids, I would, I would love it if you memorize these if you don't know them. In fact, I'll tell you what. Any of you that can come back to me next week and say these ten, can, ten Commandments to me, in order, I will give you a prize. I don't know what it will be yet, but it will be good. All you got to do is come up to say, Pastor D, I think I got them. I got, I got them. I got them. But you got to say all 10 of them, and you got to say them in order. Right? So here we go. This is the New Living Translation. I thought this would be easier for you to, to take. Then God gave the people all these instructions. And it actually, in Hebrew, it says these words. We call them the Ten Commandments. They're they're called the ten words, right? But God doesn't just say words and say, hey, these are, these are suggestions. Hey, this is my suggestion to you. Why don't you kind of do these things? No, these are his commandments. These are his expectations. This is the way we're supposed to behave. The God who created the universe, which operates according to these phenomenal, very, very, uh, very tight physical laws, right? Um, it, is, it is unbelievably uh, closely aligned with these laws of physics that we would call them. Uh, physicists call it fine-tuning, the fine-tuning of the universe. There are laws of physics, like the first law for the thermodynamics. Does anybody know what the first law of thermodynamics is? Nothing ever really disappears. That's the first law, okay? So if I were to chop this table up and light it on fire, would the table disappear? No, it just changes form, 
okay? The wood becomes ash and smoke, right? It depends on what I do with this metal. Nothing ever disappears from the universe, okay? Matter and energy change places, okay? The, the fire produces energy, and that comes from this matter, but it doesn't ever disappear. The second law, and that's an ironclad law, okay? Nothing, nothing disobeys that law. The second law of thermodynamics, does anybody know what that one is? That's the law of entropy, say entropy. That means in closed systems, like our universe, all matter is proceeding toward chaos, and all energy is proceeding further and further down toward its lowest state. All right, maybe that doesn't sound very interesting to you, but God established those laws. And you could say, well, I don't like those laws. It's irrelevant. They are, because that's the way the universe is made. Now, in the same way, God created the universe that operates in accordance with these phenomenal, amazing physical laws. He made you. He created you. And the same is true of a human being, you, as is true of the universe. God has laws. These are not just, hey, you know, I would like for you to do this. These are not just God capriciously just saying, well, you know, that's how I feel, so do it. Have you ever asked your, your mom or your dad when they tell you to do something, kids? They say, do this, and you say, why? What do they say back to you? Because I said so, right? Now, it's not because they don't have good reason for it. They probably just don't want to explain it to you. But I bet there have been times when they've tried to explain it to you. And then did you give them this face like, huh? Or, <laughs> right? God has reasons for establishing these laws, and they relate to how you're made, right? So here's 10 of them. The 10, the top 10, we might call them. Then God gave all the people these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt in the place of your slavery. Number one, does anybody know what it is? You will have no other gods before me, right? Uh, NLT says, you must not have any other God but me. Then he says, second commandment, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image, or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even the children to the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. So that's as far down in this time period when people were living a lot longer. That's as far down as the effect of that parent would continue to have on those children, right? And that's what he's saying. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Next commandment, the third one. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. And we'll talk about all these individually. I'm tempted to stop and do it now, but I don't want to. Remember, this is uh, number four. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart. Wow, the Lord really thinks the Sabbath is important. That's a lot of stuff 
which is to say, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Well, Christians, we observe Sunday as our Sabbath because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. The Jewish people observe Saturday because that was the literal seventh day of the week. Number 12, uh, verse 12, and this is uh, command number five, honor your father and mother, then you will live long, excuse me, then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Children, this is for you. Honor your father and mother, right? And there's a promise attached to this. In fact, it's the first command with a promise, uh, the scripture says, that you may live long. You wanna live long? Honor your parents. Number six, you must not murder. Number seven, you must not commit adultery. Kids, that means you keep your marriage promises. Uh, number eight, you must not steal. Number nine, you must, must not testify falsely against your neighbor. What's another word for doing that? Don't lie. And then number 10, you must not covet. And then it gives all the things you must not covet. Your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, all the things that belong to your neighbor. So we might call those different things. Coveting is just a, a way of saying you, you don't want what other people have. Okay, so let's go back into this and, and look at it just a little bit more carefully. Now, I'm not going to go terribly long today because our kids are with us and all the adults went, yay. What God establishing a moral law means is there is a way things are supposed to be. That's the title of my message today. Why don't you repeat that? What? You can't make it up as you go along. See, this is what we're doing today, and this is what happens every time people move away from God and worshiping God and fearing God, they just really pretty much, um, if I chose not to believe in God, it wouldn't be because I didn't believe he existed. It would be because I didn't want him telling me what to do. I am naturally rebellious. I know you would never guess that, would you? Okay. If somebody tells me to do something, even if I think it's a good idea, I don't want to do it just because they told me to do it. I think, no, 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 no. You ain't going to tell me what to do. So even if I think it's a good idea, I've got to do it just a little different than they told me to do it because, you know, I want it to be. Listen, there is a way things are supposed to be. And that means there is a way you are supposed to be. You don't get to just make it up on the fly. Make it up as you go along. Freedom. Now, God, at the very beginning of, the, of chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, he said, I'm the one that set you free from Egypt. Therefore, have no other gods before me. Well, freedom, those, those of us that are in Christ are free, okay? The, the scripture says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, do not submit yourself to any sort of slavery. Well, sin is slavery, okay? But freedom doesn't mean free to do whatever I please, Okay, so I've been up on the top roof of this building before. Have you been out there and looked up? It's pretty high. So you can get on this little lower roof pretty easily, okay? Uh, and you go into the back room back there. It's a, it's a different building, actually, and it's a lower roof. And if you're on the up, in the upstairs up here, um, you can actually go out one of the windows. Don't do this, children, all right? You can actually go out one of the windows and walk around on that roof up there. But to get on that roof up there, you have to push this ladder up and you have to climb up it. And then there's like this little parapet, there's these bricks that go up. So you have to hold onto the ladder and throw your foot over it. It's kind of scary, all right? And then you're way up there on the high roof and you can go right to the edge of the roof 
and you can look down, and it's pretty far down. You're talking, you're like 35, 40 feet up right there, okay? Freedom doesn't mean I couldn't, you know, that I could step up on the edge of that parapet and then jump off and fly, does it? No, because there's another physical law that we have to obey, whether we like it or not. It's called the law of gravity. Well, I'm free. I can do whatever I want to do. And I identify as a bird. Good luck with that. Now, we've mastered the laws of physics and we've learned to fly, but you actually have to be in an airplane to do that. Okay? Or these guys, have you seen these guys with these flying suits that they have? Yeah. Believe it or not, those are cool. And, you know, people got their GoPros and, the, you know, they show what they're doing or whatever. Um, many, many people who do that die. It's really, really, really dangerous. Parachute jumping, yeah, it's kind of dangerous. It's dangerous enough to where I don't want to do it. Actually, the main reason I don't want to parachute jump is I don't want to be attached to another dude. I'm sorry. And that's the way they make you do it, right? It's called a tandem jump. You're up in the airplane, and then you're tethered to this. And I just like some dude's body odor and, you know, what? I know. I'm just... It's why I don't do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, okay? I mean, I'm a karate guy. I really appreciate BJJ, but I just don't like rolling around on the ground with dudes. I'm sorry. I'm not a homophobe. I just don't like other dudes in that close of proximity. Freedom means that I can operate the way God made me. Listen, if you want to feel free, do what God says. Walk the path that he has designed. If the whole world is screaming something else, do what God says and you will indeed be free, okay? He whom or she whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Not the S-U-N, the S-O-N, that's Jesus. Um, I like this in a little further down in Galatians 5. It says, for you have been called to live in freedom, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your flesh. That's your natural self. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's Galatians 5.13. Right? So as I said earlier, there are physical laws that govern the universe, and there are moral laws that govern human beings. God himself wrote the 10. Now, I'm not going to read everything here. I read quite a bit to you. But it says that these 10 commandments were written on stone with the finger of God. Now, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So God doesn't have a literal finger like your finger. Okay. I was, I was watching a, a show last night. Okay, I'm just admitted. I binged Stranger Things, all right? It's really weird and creepy this year, man. It's really weird. So they go in this insane asylum, and there's this dude in there, and they're, you know, these two girls are going in to talk to him, and they're like, we believe you and all this stuff. And he's just sitting at this table, and he's got a long thumbnail, and he's going... <laughs> and he's scraping on the table with his thumbnail. It's disgusting. He wasn't like drawing any letters or anything. He was just, okay, God doesn't have a finger like that that he's going to write the Ten Commandments on these tablets of stone. Somehow, God used some process, and he created the universe, to put these, embed these laws on these tablets of stone, all right? So Moses wasn't up there going, chip, 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 chip,
Now, if you watch the, anybody ever seen the old movie, The Ten Commandments? The really old one. God's voice is like this. I am the Lord your God. You know, and Charlton Heston is Moses and he's, you know, standing there like this. And then this fire, it's cool. You know, it's like this, this whirlwind and this, and it hits the stone and it burns it into there. I don't know if that's what happened, but that's cool in, in my opinion. But God wrote these, okay? God established these and he wrote these. So I think we need to pay attention to them. So first of all, don't have any other gods except God. Amen. People have lots of other gods today. You say, well, no, not really. I mean, people that are in other religions, maybe, like Hindus, there's 330 million gods in the Hindu pantheon. So what this means is don't have any other god but Yahweh. So if you're, if you're a Hindu and you come to know Jesus, it's saying you need to push away all of those other ideas of God and focus on the one true God, the God who created the world, who created the heavens and the earth. This is in Acts chapter 17 where the apostle Paul talked to the Greeks, and they were polytheists. That means that they worshiped a lot of these other gods. Now, they're all false gods, but they worship them anyway. But see, as Americans, we create gods. And you know what the number one god for most people is? Me. No, I don't mean me. I mean, you're saying that too. And I worship you as God, Pastor D. No, but if I'm not careful, I'm putting what I want above what God wants and that's worship. Anything you value, anywhere near the way you were supposed to value God, that becomes an idol. And then that's the next command. Don't make any idols. So the obvious idea there is, you know, they had all of these statues and they would literally bow down to statues. And again, Hindus will have paintings and, and they will have uh, sculptures of their gods and literally bow down to them. They're, you know, uh, Catholics are not supposed to worship uh, Mary or worship the saints, but many times there are pictures of saints and Mary, and they're praying to these pictures and so forth. But you know, Protestant Christians, that's just any Christian that's not a Catholic Christian, could look at some of these beautiful paintings I have here. I have this one over here. It's got Jesus in the wilderness. I've got the beautiful Thomas Blackshear painting in the back of the room right there, uh, and that's actually a numbered signed lithograph. Please don't steal it, right? And then we've got this picture right here that was actually painted by uh, an eight or nine-year-old girl believe it or not. Very famous painting. And then we have the cross. If any of you starts bowing to these and praying to them, I will take them down. If it becomes an idol, I think that Thomas Blackshear painting is beautiful and it's valuable. I'll burn it right in front of you if it becomes an idol. I don't care, right? So what I'm saying is it's not just, we, I, we can idolize all sorts of things. Men, some men idolize their cars, their trucks, their guns, okay? You should put your spouse above all other humans, but not above God. You turn your spouse into, into an idol, and that's a problem. We don't make idols, right? So that means that we don't worship other gods, worship other things, but it also means we don't create these images of God, or as we think God would be, and worship those, right? Number three um, is don't misuse God's name. You know, this happens every day, doesn't it? Right? I don't want you to say it out loud, but do you hear people say, OMG? I would say, oh my gosh. 
But it's such an irony. Somebody who's saying that is calling it out to a God that they really have no cognizance of. They have no awareness of, right? It's the perfect example of misusing God, right? Now, in this case, God, that is just a word. God's name is, you heard me say it, is Yahweh. But in most English Bibles, you will see that it is written as Lord. Now, I've said it many times in here, and I'm not going to go into all the details, but basically the Hebrews, the Jews, took this command so seriously that they would not even pronounce the name Yahweh for fear that they would misuse the name. So they substituted the word Lord, which in Hebrew is Adonai. And that's why we have in our Bibles, throughout your Old Testament, every time you encounter God's name, which in Hebrew is yod Hey. Vav Hey, four Hebrew letters, okay? It will be written in your English Bible, Lord, L-O-R-D, but the O-R and D will be lowercase caps, right? So it's the same height as a lowercase letter, but it's a capital. And that's how you know whenever you, even this is a super modern translation, New Living Translation, every time you run into that capital L and then lowercase caps O-R-D, then that's God's name. God is saying, don't misuse my name, All right? This applies as Christians who realize that Jesus Christ is God's one and only son. Do you know when I was growing up, the only time that I ever heard Jesus' name come out of the mouth of my dad was when he used it as a curse. Now, I'm not going to even say it the way he said it because I think it's disrespectful, all right? If you're using Jesus' name as a curse, then you are misusing his name, right? Think about it this way. Your name represents you in your absence, right? So I, I keep pointing Ransom because he's in the front row and he's the best. He pays attention so well, okay? But I have an idea of who Ransom is. Now, I don't know him like his mom and dad knows him or like his grandparents know him, right? But I've known Ransom since he was born. So when I say Ransom's name, it embodies him, okay? If I said Isaac's name, it embodies him. This is who I'm talking about. Well, which Isaac? Isaac Reisinger. Oh, okay. Right? If I said Isaiah's name, I've known him since he was born. That name embodies him, right? It encompasses him. It represents him. So he might not be there, but I say, oh yeah, Isaiah. And everybody goes, uh, which one? Come on, Cyan Ronnie's kid. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we, we know who that is. So as soon as I say his name, that, that represents him. But what if I misrepresent him? What if I start saying things about Isaiah and attaching things to his name that are not true? Then I'm misusing his name and I'm misrepresenting him. He's not there, but I am turning him into something that he is not. That's what we do with God's name. If we just say God or we say Lord or we say Jesus, if we use his name as a curse or we misuse his name. And God says, you can't do that because it's disrespectful. It indicates you don't respect me, you don't fear me. And then number four is uh, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day. And you heard all that detail, the Sabbath day is the day of rest. God established it from the beginning at creation, right? He took six days uh, to create the world. Now that doesn't have to be six 24-hour periods, right? And then he rested on the seventh day. And so he established that as a, a human period of rest and worship. As I said before, Christians traditionally have focused on Sunday, 
which originally was the first day of the week, but you know what? Now, effectively, it is the seventh day of the week. It, really, if you think about it, right, you have to kind of redo your, your calendar to make it the first day of the week because we normally think of what day is the first day of the week? Monday. That's because in Christian lands, which we've moved far away from that, but in Christian lands, Christians always celebrated and worshiped on Sunday, okay? So that was the day of rest. That was the day of worship. That was the day dedicated to God. Can I say this to you? That hasn't gone away. When we just do whatever we want to do on God's holy day, then we're not respecting him, all right? Now, you know, there are people that, that work in emergency services. There are people that are, that are firemen. They're, they're police officers. Uh, there are nurses and doctors and so forth. And, you know, they're going to have to work on that day to serve us so they can, you know, have another day that is the day that they focus on worship and rest. But y'all, Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for you. God made the Sabbath for you. need to rest. You really do. It's really important. Now, this gets into something even deeper in Hebrews where it talks about resting from your works to please God. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. But there, it's not talking about one day. It's talking about, um, well, in, in, in the Psalms, it says, cease striving, God says, and know that I am God. Cease striving to please God. Rest in his grace. Rest in his love. Realize that when Jesus died and rose, he already made the way for you to enter heaven. You don't have to climb Jacob's ladder. You don't have to, to build a tower of Babylon to try to reach heaven. You don't have to come up with extra works so that your, your good works will, out, will outweigh your bad works. All you have to do is trust Jesus. Put him as the singular focus of your life and rest in that. Amen? That's the most important rest. All right, so those first four are usually considered uh, the, the first tablet, right? The two tablets of the Ten Commandments. And they relate to our relationship with God. Look at the cross behind me. It has two beams on it, doesn't it? Okay, it has a vertical beam. And that reminds us of our relationship with God. And that's the first tablet. And that's these four commandments. And then it has a horizontal beam. And that reminds us of our relationship with one another. Vertical, relationship with God, tablet one. Horizontal, our relationship with one another, tablet two. Tablet two, honor your father and mother. Now, I couldn't just say that and then jump past it, kids. But I've got to say, you know, there may be times when you're frustrated, when you're upset, when you're tempted to say something mean to your parents. Don't give in to that temptation. Honor your father and mother. Now, those of us that are older, okay, uh, you know, you may have not had a good experience with your parents. Maybe you did for a while and then you didn't later on. Uh, maybe your parents won't talk to you right now. Maybe your parents have passed away um, and you didn't have a good relationship at the end and you know you kind of have some regret there. All I can tell you is this. Make things right now as best you can. My father, my biological father, uh, was an alcoholic. He and my mom were divorced when I was seven years old. He tried to steal my sister and I from my mom when I was nine years old. Um, I didn't have a good relationship with him. I didn't have a good opinion of him. And for a long time, I didn't speak well of him. He didn't deserve it. 
But this doesn't say honor your father and mother if you think they deserve it, does it? Okay? Fast forward many years, okay? 21 years ago. In 2001, uh, I watched a movie, and maybe you guys have seen this movie, uh, called Pay It Forward. Have you ever seen that movie? That Haley Joel Osment in it? And uh, it was a really good movie, and I'll zoom to the end of that movie, where basically... Uh, whatever Haley Joel Osment's mother's name was, she was at odds with her mother who lived on the street. And they weren't getting along and they weren't communicating. And at the end of the movie, they reconciled. And for some reason, man, the Lord just hit me like it was like a spike went through my heart, right? I'm not a big crier. I'm really not. And I was crying. I was heaving. It was ridiculous. I was glad a bunch of people weren't there. But what I realized was that I was at odds with my dad in the same way that that woman was at odds with her mom, and I needed to make it right. At that point in time, this is 2001, I didn't even know where he lived. I knew he was in a nursing home. He had been in a nursing home at the VA, the Veterans Administration, but I hadn't communicated with him in years. And so this is what I decided to do. This is uh, before cell phones were ubiquitous and, um, yeah, I mean, just remember back to 2001. I did have a cell phone, but you didn't have this, these internet enabled cell phones that we have now. Okay. I had a flip phone. Remember those? You remember the Motorola flip phone? They were cool. Let me just be honest with you. I, for, you know, for my money, I give up my iPhone 13 if they had this a really cool flip iPhone. I would like it. All right. But we didn't have that. So what I did is I knew my dad was in North Carolina. I knew he was somewhere around where he, he was from, which was Weaverville, North Carolina. And so I drove, I rented a car and drove to North Carolina. I stayed at this retreat in Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, I woke up, the, this was, uh, this was uh, Thanksgiving weekend. And I woke up the Friday after Thanksgiving in this retreat thing. And I went downstairs and I got a phone book Yes, an old school phone book. And I prayed. And then I sat there in front of the phone that they had in the lobby of this place. And I started looking up phone numbers to nursing homes. The third number I called, I asked, is Oscar Wayne Hall there? Oh, yeah, he's here. Boom. So I drove to that nursing home and gave him a surprise visit and reconciled to my dad right? Now, did that change any of the things that he'd done to us, to me, or any of the ways he had not? No, it didn't. But the scripture says, honor your father and mother in the Lord, because it's right. Amen? Right. So that's the first one when it comes to the horizontal relationship. Uh, The next one is do not murder. My goodness, right? People are out of their minds today. You, You need to honor life, right? And it starts with Preborn life. Amen? And then this goes all the way through, all life. Any time a human being takes the life of another human being and it is not absolutely in self-defense, okay? And even in those instances, it doesn't mean you have to take someone's life. But it's called murder. When you take the life of another human being, and in Scripture, before the law, in Genesis chapter 9, Um, At the end of the flood, God tells Noah, if 
a human being sheds blood, then by a human being shall his blood be shed. If you take the life of another human being, you owe a life. And this is throughout the law. Now, if it's accidental, right, what we would call involuntary manslaughter, right, you didn't intend to do it. The example in the scripture is given is, you know, a man is swinging an ax and the ax head flies off and hits somebody else in the head, all right? Well, there was protection for that man in that instance. But even if it is what is considered manslaughter or in some other ways, uh, something like uh, somebody's drinking and driving, they're drunk, they cross the center line, they crash into another car, and it kills one or more people in that car. That person owes his life for those lives. That's not my opinion. That's the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean that God can't forgive and that people can't be saved, but you need to understand what the rule is. You need to understand what the law is, and that's the way it is, whether we like it or not. Okay? Thou shalt not murder. And then keep your marriage promises. Oh, we're just going out, you know, crazy on that one as well. God's plan is one man and one woman for life. Now, I come out of an imperfect situation when it concerns marriage and divorce. And probably most, if not all of you do as well. Not, I'm sure not all, because I know that there are intact families in here because I officiated their weddings and they're, they're still together and they have kids and it's awesome, okay? But the reality is there are just all sorts of problems in our world, but we don't, we don't make anything better by saying, oh, that's okay. It's not okay. Forgiveness is not saying, oh, that's okay. Forgiveness is saying, no, what you did was wrong. But God is going to release you from the penalty for that wrong. Now, your response is get on the right road and do things right. Amen? There was a family that was once a part of this church. Uh, it's been many years ago now. But they first uh, came, and the man and the woman and their kids came to our service, and they weren't married. Okay? And the man, and he would tell you this, and I'm not going to say their names, but some, many of you in this room know it. It's part of their testimony. The man had violated his marriage covenant with his wife, and the woman had violated her marriage covenant with her husband, and then they were together. Well, what do you do about that? Well, they understood that it was wrong. And both of them had sought to reconcile with their spouses but their spouses had moved on to other people. And so they believed that the best thing that they could possibly do, since they were living as husband and wife, was to actually officially get married and treat their kids as their own kids and love them as best that they could. And they asked me to officiate their wedding. Now, typically, I don't officiate those sorts of weddings, but I did with them because I really believed that they were seeking to do the right thing, they were repentant. Now, that's been many years ago, and they are still married. Amen? And uh, they don't go here anymore, but I'm thankful for them. They're wonderful people. God's plan is for you, if you are married, if you are going to get married, you don't plan a back door. Okay? Now, again, I'm not saying things don't go wrong. That's why I just gave that, this example. Right? but you don't plan that. See, this is what people do today. Well, if it doesn't work out, we can always get a divorce. Nonsense. That is not God's plan. Jesus said this very clearly. And if you listen to what Jesus said here, and this is, uh, this is contained in, in the gospel. This is, uh, I believe this is Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, 18 or 19. Jesus says this. 
he says, have you not read that he who made them from the beginning, God created man and woman, created them male and female. God created you and he created you a male or he created you a female. And a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now he was responding to the Pharisees who were trip hammer about divorce. All right, they believed that basically, if you didn't like your wife, you could just write her a paper of divorce and say, get out of my house. There was no recourse whatsoever for that. And Jesus said, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Now again, you need to compare your life and your choices with what God wants. And you need to seek grace. But we need to realize that God's not changing the rules because of how he feels. That's the way it is, because that's the way he's designed you. And the majority of the problems we see in our nation are the result of broken families. Lack of respect, reverence for God, and an unwillingness to live the kind of life in family that God has chosen for us to live. That's number seven, right? Number eight, you must not steal. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? That means you must not cheat on your taxes. Well, the government doesn't deserve that. Tax is theft. Okay, keep playing that tune. The IRS is coming after you. I'm telling you, right? It is very simple. Do you know, <clears throat> kids, I, I may have lost some of you because I've been going for a while, so I, I'm going to help you understand that before I became a Jesus person, before I started following Jesus, I used to do some wrong things. When I was a kid, Asher's age, Isaiah's age, Ransom's age, I used to steal stuff on occasion. Never anything big. I didn't go to anybody's house and rob it or something. But if I was walking past something in the store and I saw something that I liked, later, the Lord really convicted me about that. And the way that he got it through to my head was I got arrested for stealing. Now, they didn't take me to jail. They just, two police officers brought me to my house in the back of the police car. Now, I was a tough freshman in high school by this time. And all I did was bawl my face off. I know, I've told you I cried twice now and you think you're just a big baby, right? I'm just I'm choosing the points where, yeah, I did cry. And that was like, I, I made a decision right there. I was 14 years old and I made a decision right then. I am not gonna live this way. This is not the kind of life I want. I don't want to be a thief. I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to have a record. I don't want to live like this. And that was what really pushed me to seek God and to find Jesus. And I'm going to say this. I never stole another thing after that. You don't have to steal. You don't need anything that bad. You need to trust God to take care of you, okay? Next commandment is don't lie. Don't bear false witness. This command focuses on saying something about somebody else that's not true. Now, we've seen this in our nation, right? We've seen people that will make false statements in the media about other people, and they don't care what it, what it matters. And then they have to retract that statement. Listen, the best bet is honesty always. You know what? If you always tell the truth, you never have anything to cover up. If you lie, you're going to have to tell another lie to cover that lie up. 
It's never ending. You're trying to create an alternate reality that doesn't exist. Be a completely honest person. Don't lie. And the last one is don't covet, right? So <clears throat> when it comes to uh, wanting something that somebody else has, um, that's the first step to stealing. When it comes to wanting someone else's partner, someone else's spouse, that's the first step to adultery, right? So if we take these Ten Commandments and we understand them the way God designed them, I can boil them down to actually two. The Scripture says that love fulfills the law. You want to boil all ten down into two commandments? Jesus said, these are the two greatest commandments. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Can you say that one? And then number two, and Jesus said that is like it, is love your neighbor as yourself. All right? And then Jesus kicked it up a notch and he said, a new commandment I give unto you, love one another even as I have loved you. So the first thing you need to do is accept God's love for you, accept his forgiveness for all the things that you've done wrong, all the ways that you violated these Ten Commandments, receive his grace and his forgiveness and a clean start, right? Love him with all you are. Let him love you and then love other people the way he's loved you. That's what you do. Don't treat other people the way they're treating you because oftentimes people will mistreat you. But we're not living eye for eye and tooth for tooth and insult for insult. We're saying, how do I want that person to treat me? That's how I am going to treat them. That's the golden rule. That's what we're supposed to do. Jesus embodies love. Jesus fulfilled the law. Love fulfills the law, right? Now, this is what God has given us. He gave it to the Jewish people thousands of years ago on Mount Sinai. And those commands haven't changed. They don't go away right? Jesus said, not, not the least jot or tittle is going to pass away from the law until all is accomplished. But you know what Jesus said on the cross? And what the last thing he said before he breathed his last was? Well, he may have said, into thy hands I commit my spirit. That might have been the very last thing. But the penultimate thing that he said, that is the second to the last perhaps, was in Greek, tetelestai. Say that word. It means it is finished or accomplished. Jesus accomplished it all on the cross. So if you are in Christ and you receive his spirit, he puts his law on your heart and you will always know what's right. Don't listen to our antichrist culture and all the things that it wants to tell you is right and wrong. Pay attention to the spirit of God as you choose to put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and you will never go wrong. Amen?